hates every single one of us. And uh, he hates this church. We need to understand that and realize that. So when things go sideways or go wrong in our eyes, we have to realize that it isn't the person that, that said something that hurt us. It isn't the situation or whatever. It's Satan trying to use those things to get at us. We just have to be able to see through those things and realize that it's Satan and not anything else. And we have to trust God to work it out. And those are the times that we need to uh, concentrate on God and call on God more. Because when we do that in those kind of situations, guess what? Satan will quit bothering you as much. Because if, what th if things happen to us, cause us to worship God and to pray and to read his word, he doesn't want us doing that. See, the long, uh, who was it? Harvey, was it, what's his name, Harvey, the radio guy? Paul, Paul. Paul Harvey. And uh, he did a thing that he said that uh, if you want to get a Christian, you want to you destroy a Christian, the best way to do it is have everything go well. Let them get everything that they want. Let all the things happen that they want come up roses. Then when they do, they feel secure in, the, in themselves because they think they did it. And that's when they forget about God. So in a sense, we need to basically thank God for the times that things don't go well because they're an opportunity and a reminder that we need to call on God more. And uh, if we could live for God and serve him the same when we're in the good times as in the bad times, then we wouldn't have so many bad times. Now that's my theology. <laughs> and I believe it's true. But we need to realize that uh, we need to serve God. But the uh, problem is that when we serve God, we fail. And we fail a lot. And if you don't haven't failed as a Christian, then I want to talk to you and know what your secret is. Because I fail all the time. And uh, if you're honest, you'll realize and look back on your life, you'll realize that you failed. But what do we do with those failures? And what happens? How does God deal with our failures? See, that's the key. It's bad enough that we fail, but what happens when we fail? What is, how does God deal with our failure? Now, in the Old Testament, we know that uh, the children of Israel, after they were in the land and, and they started looking around at the other nations and all the other nations had a king. And they thought, oh, that's what we want. We want a king. And so they went to Samuel and said, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. It was probably something like that. It didn't give the exact words. You kind of have to read, read between the lines. But if somebody over there says, you know, Samuel, we want a king. If that's all right with you, could we have a king? Do you think that happened? Uh-uh. There was a lot of external pressure to, uh, uh, given to Samuel to tell him them that they wanted a king. And Samuel was a prophet, and he served God from the time that he was a small child. He heard the voice of God. Now, on the news, if you watch the news, I don't remember who it was, uh, one of the liberal people, they were talking, and I, I wish I could remember who it was, but uh, they said that was a kind of condemning Pence because he said that he prayed and that God spoke to him. And they said, anybody 
that believes that God speaks, hears God's voice, they're crazy. That's what she said. I guess it was on The View, one of those joy something or other from The View. So basically she said, if we hear from God, we're crazy. Because the world hates God. And that's the reality of it. And if we aren't hearing the voice of God, then we're not listening. God speaks to us a lot through here. And if we're not listening by when we read his word and we're not reading it, we're going to miss the voice of God. Because the more we read God's word, the more our hearts are sensitive to his voice. And the more we know God. And then we can hear God in other areas. Sometimes he drops a roadblock in our way to stop us from going a certain way. But just because there's a roadblock there doesn't mean always mean that God doesn't want you to go that way. But if we don't have the voice of God directing us, we won't know. So we'll be like a duck in one of those shooting galleries. You know, you shoot them, they're going this way, and you shoot them, they go this way. Then they shoot them, they go this way, and you go this way. That's what we'd be like if we don't hear the voice of God. And God wants us to hear him. And he speaks to us. And he will speak to us. He speaks to us 24-7. If we got our ears turned to the, the channel, always not speaking to us all the time in our physical ears and that, but our spirit is communing with God all the time. And our spirit person that lives inside of us, our spirit man, he's listening to the voice of God. And he's sensing it because the spirit of God dwells in us. So it's impossible to have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and not being able to hear God because it's His Spirit that lives in us. Now, I talk to myself a lot. Sometimes Randy will say, what did you say? <laughs> but, but one time, I'm not talking to him. He says, what would you say? <laughs> when I'm trying to get him to hear me, then he goes, oh, oh, what, you were talking to me? You talking to me? Was you talking to me? <laughs> so, but the Spirit of God lives in us. And if, we're, and, and if we allow the Spirit of God to live, us, live in us and through us, we will hear the voice of God more. And that's what our obligation is. But they were asking Samuel for a king. And God conceded and said, okay, give him a king. And he says, and Samuel was very upset about it because God was their king until this time. And Samuel says, no, they ought to want to give him a king. And he says, give him a king, because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Now that had to hurt God. Can you imagine? God has led him out of the will, out of Egypt. He led him all these years. He gave him judges, and he gave him prophets to guide him and direct him. And they didn't want that anymore. They wanted a king. And even when Samuel told them what the cost of a king would cost, what it would cost them, they still said they wanted a king. So when we have, our government system is basically based upon the Old Testament. Did you know that? There's tithes that were started in the Old Testament and they were continued through the New Testament. But there's also taxes they had to pay to support government. And they said it's going to cost you at least 10 to 20%. To have a king, do you still want one? Yeah. I wish I'd had that choice. I'd have said, no. I want to keep 10 or 20% of my income, more of my income. <laughs> but 
but they wanted to be like the other nations. And this was God's will in a sense because Jesus was eventually going to come and he's going to be the everlasting king. So in reality, God used that because he knew that's the only reason he agreed to let him have a king because he knew that down the road a king would be born to rule and reign forever and ever. So he knew that. But it hurt God when they asked for that because basically it was rejecting him. And every time we try to be king of our own life, we're hurting God. Whether we realize it or not, we are. Because we think that God's up there and he doesn't have a lot of feelings and he doesn't. But we know from his word that he cares. We can grieve the spirit. And God tells us that. And every time that we let, try to rule our own lives, we're saying, I'm going to be the king. And every time we choose that, God doesn't lash out at us and go, wow, that's the last time. Pow! He didn't destroy the children of Israel when they asked for a king, even though it hurt him. See, because that isn't the way God is. See, last week we went through Romans, and I don't want to re-preach that sermon, but uh, we have to know that despite the slogan that failure is not an option, we all struggle with failure. So we need to know how God deals with failure. Uh, Romans 7, 7, 24 and 25, it says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now if Paul was struggling with sin and failure, so will we. Now I'm glad that this, this is in the Bible. Because we as believers hold Paul up on a high pedestal and think he can do no wrong. But he made a lot of mistakes. If you really studied, his, studied the Bible and studied his life, you're going to realize that he failed. And he said he struggles with this all the time. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Because when we rule our own lives, we're wretched. And our lives are full with sin. And we, ha- and we just struggle with those kind of things. So I'm glad God put it in there to show us that we aren't the only ones that struggle with failure. We're not the only ones who fail. So he gave us a good example, one of the best ones that we have. <clears throat> now, each of us have a lot of friends. Well, hopefully we have a lot of friends. We have a, a, a circle of friends, I guess, that, w- that we do have, or acquaintances, if you will. We have our church family. We have our work, work family, if you will, people that you work with, people that when you go to the grocery store all the time and you, you know the people that work there and you kind of build a relationship there and we build all these kind of relationships outside. And then we come to church and we have a church family. And we're closer, I hope, to the ch- our church family than we are to the world out there. Now within that group, or within uh, other group of people that you know, maybe they're not of this, this body, but they're believers, we have an inner circle of people that we have, no matter how many it is, two, three, four, it doesn't make any difference, that we tell our secrets to, if you will. And we know that they aren't going to be the ones that are going to tell our secrets. And we have a hard time trusting people because we need to share things with people, but it's hard because 
what happens if they tell someone else? So we have that group that we can trust, and I hope that you have that group because we all need that inner circle that we have that we can tell those things to, that can pray with us and lift us up and share our burdens together. I hope that each of you have that, and I hope they're believers because when we go to that inner circle, those are the ones we ask for advice, isn't it? We call and ask for advice. You ask to call your mom and dad if you're younger and ask them about something, they'll tell you. They'll give you advice. And, ho and hopefully, if you don't take it, they don't get mad at you. <laughs> and hopefully, parents, you don't offer advice that isn't asked for. Because that can cause a lot of problems. My parents and my um, dad's parents didn't interfere with our lives. But we could call them and talk to them and ask, give them advice. And we'd take it or not. And if we didn't take it, they didn't get offended. See, our parents are long gone, and, and, you know, I miss them greatly. And one day I'll see them again. And I'm happy about that hope that we have. And if you have parents, kids, value them. Because that the Lord tarries, they're going to be gone one day. And you're really going to miss them. Now, I'm not saying how many years it has. We're not guaranteed a certain amount of years. If we are, I've probably surpassed it, and so is Grandma. <laughs> and Pam. But uh, we don't have a certain amount of years because death is no respecters of persons. I did a funeral for a baby that only lived a few hours. And those are the saddest funerals that, that I've ever done. And I hate those kind of funerals. But the thing I hate worse is knowing that the person's funeral is not someone that I believe was a believer. Because those are hard. Those are hard to preach. And sometimes you go to a funeral and wonder who in the world they're talking about. Because it's amazing when someone dies how good they become. They were dirtbags in this life, but you go to their funeral and they're talking about how wonderful they are. <laughs> but anyway... We all struggle with that, and hopefully that we have those, those close inner circle that we have. Jesus had thousands of people that followed him around. Thousands and thousands. He couldn't go anywhere or have any rest at all because of all the people that followed him. But I, in, inside that thousands of people, he had 70 that he was close to. Then of those 70, he had 12 that he was extra close to. Then he had that inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And they knew Jesus better than anyone. They were his closest and dearest followers. Matthew 26, 37 through 41 says, And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And when he went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not wait? Watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I can't even imagine the pain that Jesus felt on, on, with the burden of knowing that he was going to die on the cross. 
the last night before that. And he's in agony, knowing the things that were going to happen. Now, Jesus knew from the beginning of time that he came, was going to be born of a virgin and die on a cross. He knew that. That was his goal in coming. That was the only reason Jesus came, was to die for us. That was the only reason. And here he is in his darkest hour, and he's in deep agony, and he's praying so heavily that his sweat is drops of blood. Now, I have never been in that kind of agony. Is anybody here? And in that time of agony and everything else, his closest and dearest disciples were asleep when he needed them there to help and to support him. That was a terrible, terrible pain that he suffered. Now, I hope that when we have situations in our life that are hard, that our inner circle or our group of friends or whatever they are, I hope they'll be there for you. I hope you'll have someone that'll be there for you, that they won't turn their back on you on your darkest hours because that's terribly painful. It's terrible, terrible, painful to be betrayed, but it's worse when you're betrayed by your friend or your spouse. There are a lot of people that have been married and they've been betrayed by their spouse by them committing adultery and cheating on them. That's a terrible burden. I know because I know what it felt like. And there's others here that knows what that feels like. And I hope you never have to feel that agony and that pain. And I don't think you think we will as long as we serve God. It's when we get away from God that we open ourselves up to all these other things and all these temptations. And he said, watch that you enter not into temptation. Watch and pray. See, if we're not watching and praying, we're going to fall in temptation. And all of us are going to be tempted. And we're going to be tempted at our weakest points because Satan knows our weakness. I've been in situations where it's been really easy for me to cheat. Really easy. But I had, I had my radar up. And I want to be careful that I don't want to exceed anything. And we all have to have our radar up in this world that we live in. We're out, and sometimes we work clo very closely with people of the opposite sex. And sometimes the devil will see to that situation and make that seem more important than what you have at home. But we need to have our radar up. And what's our radar? It's the Spirit of God living in us. And he's going to quicken our heart and say, Oh, no, 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 stop, 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 watch yourself. Watch it. And when he does that, we'll back off. So, oh, that won't happen to me. Don't say that. <laughs> never say never. So, but I believe that if we're close to God and that, that he will protect us from those kind of things. So don't worry about it. But that there's a pain there of, of that that we can't even imagine. But even the best of us are going to fail. And when we fail, it's called sin. It's not called doing a mistake or whatever. It's sin. And uh, it affects us. Sin hurts us spiritually. And if we don't take care of that sin, and eventually it will affect us physically. There's a lot of people that hold grudges. And they just, that, that pain, because they've been hurt, and that, they just let that just fester inside of them. And it, it, it festers to the point that it makes them physically ill. And you go talk to somebody. And I've talked to people. And I've went over and I've talked to them. And I start talking to him about things, and, 
and, and, that, and I find out that they have hate in their heart for someone because someone hurt them. And I say, you got to let go of that. you gotta, you got to forgive them and go on. Oh, no, I'll never forgive them. Well, if they never forgive them, what does God say? I won't forgive you. Because it eats at us, and eventually it will destroy us. Now, nothing can take us out of God's hands. When we accept him, we're a part of his family, but we can walk away. It's impossible for someone to disown an adopted child. It's impossible. But if that adopted child don't want to be part of that family, he can walk away and cut all those ties. But the adoptive parent can't. It's illegal. And that's the way it is from God. God can't force you to stay in the family. He can't. And that's the problem that we see. And a lot of times it's because we've been hurt. Oh, I'm not going to that church anymore. They're a bunch of hypocrites. No, they're not. They're just a bunch of people trying to serve God the best that we know how. Do we fail? Yes. You follow me around and you're going to swear I'm backslidden. And if I follow you around, I'll probably think the same thing. <laughs> because we all make mistakes. We all sin. But doesn't, that doesn't matter because God still loves us. And he isn't going to destroy us because of it. He's going to lead us in a direction to where we take care of that, that issue. <clears throat> Matthew 6, says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now this is, message isn't about encouraging failure. But knowing when we fail, God is there for us. See, when we seek him, he gives us everything that we need. But see, a lot of times when we sin, we don't seek him because of the guilt that's in our heart and we're afraid to even come to God, let alone anybody else. But we need to understand that God doesn't, doesn't reject us or he doesn't kick us out of the family just because we sin. You know, if you're going to hold your head down, hold it down and pray to get rid of those things. Now, God knows we're weak. He knows it. He knows our weakness, too. And he also knows our strength. And God wants to use our weakness to become a strength. And so when we get hit in our weakest points, God is using those to make us strong. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now every single day we need to remember this verse. Because if not failing saves us, then that makes salvation by works and not by grace. So if we never fail God, and we're dependent upon, I don't fail God, so I, I've got it made. No, because we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith, by his grace. has nothing to do with our works. And we can't boast about that. All we can boast about is what God did for us, not what we've done. So how does God respond to us when we fail him? Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God doesn't condemn us when we fail. And that's important. He tells us, first of all, he won't condemn us. That's how God handles failure. He doesn't condemn us. So when we, if we fail God, don't let, the, don't let Satan condemn you. If it's condemnation, it isn't from God. If it's conviction... It is from God. If God convicts you in your heart, and you know the difference, God says, I, I want you to repent of this. You did this today. I want you to repent. Satan ain't going to tell you to repent. 
He doesn't want you to repent. He wants you to keep on doing it until you've done it so much and you keep walking so far away from God that you won't care anymore. So Satan will condemn you and say, what's the use of serving God? You keep messing up. Yeah, I keep messing up, but guess what? God doesn't condemn me. He convicts me and says, ask for forgiveness. I want to get this out of your life. I want you to use this experience as an opportunity to grow and to become stronger because of this weakness. <clears throat> we condemn people, but God doesn't. <coughs> Romans eight sixteen says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God, so we don't have to worry about a lot of things. Now, I remember the, the story in John where they brought the adulterous woman and they threw him at Jesus' feet and said, this woman committed adultery. Now, this is what the law says. The law says we should stone her. But what do you say? They're trying to trip up Jesus. And the same argument will happen to us. They'll come to us and say, this is what the law says. What do you say? What did Jesus say? Those without sin cast the first stone. See, we don't have a right to condemn other people. We don't have the right to cast stones at everybody because we ourselves are without sin. And because there was no one there who was without sin, it was just her and Jesus. And the only one that had the right to condemn her was somebody who was without sin. And that was Jesus. And he says, as he picks her up, he says, neither do I condemn thee. Those are probably music to her ears. But that isn't all he said. He says, go and sin no more. See, he doesn't condemn us, but he doesn't want us to stay in our sin. He says, go and sin no more. So we don't, can't take part of the verse without taking all of it. We have to go and sin no more. But he doesn't condemn us. He didn't come here to condemn us. He came here to save us. <coughs> <coughs> The second thing he tells us when we fail is he will not forget us. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. Now, I know the men won't, don't understand this verse, but women do. Because women, when women give birth, they become a milk factory. It's just an automatic thing that happens. And God did that so we could feed the babies so they could grow healthier. But today, we don't have to nurse our babies, do we? We can get a shot that'll dry up our milk and we can go on and feed them with a the bottle. And a lot of them choose that because it's, it's so hard to nurse a baby these, these days, isn't it? It's really hard. In a lot of places, it's kind of unacceptable, and you know, and they basically condemn mothers that want to nurse their babies because they're out in public. How dare they? We should ask, how dare you put all this crap on TV that we have to watch? Amen. That's what we should say. Now, I don't recommend they just sit out there and everywhere and just whatever, I, you know, cover them, whatever, but to, it's not acceptable anymore. The things that God provided isn't acceptable. And if the mother doesn't nurse her baby in the Old Testament times, and even now, if you don't get that shot, it hurts physically. 
It's kind of like you, you drink a lot of liquids, and what happens? You have to go to the bathroom. And if you don't, it's going to hurt and hurt and hurt physically until you actually go. Uh, the way that <clears throat> the Assyrians <clears throat> were one of the worst people there were for torture. <clears throat> and what they used to do is they'd fill these, these guys up with wine and get them drunk. And they would burn the uh, part of their body that would allow them to go to the bathroom so they could not go to the bathroom. And they would continue to force feed them liquids till eventually they died. Now that was a terrible, terrible torture. Can you imagine? I have a hard time. Now I get in the middle of the night and go, run to the bathroom. I can't even imagine something like that happening. <clears throat> so if mothers didn't feed their babies, God gave them a reminder, it's time to feed your babies. In case we, now we just put them on a schedule. They get a bottle in the morning, they get a bottle here, they get a bottle here. We, we put them on a schedule. But God put, put us on a schedule for the baby. And we knew when it was time to feed the baby. So there's physical pain. So even if we could forget, even if God could forget about our kids, he wouldn't. But we, even if we can forget about our kids, can we? God never will, though. <clears throat> now, the worst thing in the world is feeling lonely. Now, loneliness leads to suicide and as we've seen, school shootings. Now, kids that commit school shootings, every single one of them were loners. They were alone from everyone else. They were outcast. They were the people that, that they met, the kids made fun of. Now, all these kids out there protesting, but it, isn't, it wasn't their idea to do this. It was all the liberals forcing the issue and paying for all these rallies and other for gun control. But it has nothing to do with gun control. It has everything to do with control. We live in a debauched society. And we have a whole society of kids that feel loneliness and they feel uh, forgotten. And they, what do they do with it? They just sit there and they get in their own little world and they get on the internet and they read all this stuff and and they feel there's no hope and all this other kind of stuff, and a lot of them take their own lives. When a lot of this could be prevented if they just had friends. Now, these same kids should friend these people. Quit calling kids' names in school. If you go to school here this morning and there's someone that kids make fun of, go be a friend to them. That's the best thing that you could do. You could be Jesus to that kid. And the only gospel that they ever read. Because if they have a friend or friends, they wouldn't feel so forgotten. And they wouldn't feel so lonely. And they'd be able to uh, live a better life. <clears throat> so that's what they need to do. Now, another thing that happens is with uh, as people get older, we are so busy with our lives and we have kids and the, the cycle of life is the parent sometimes becomes the child. I don't ever want that to happen to me, but I pray, Lord, pray the Lord it won't. But some kids put their parents in rest homes, and they forget about them. You go in, and I don't know whether you've ever went to a rest home. They have the beehive up here that I've been to, and you, you sit down, and I went to a lot of rest homes in, 
my younger years and the prisons and whatever. But uh, <clears throat> you sit there and you talk to them, and they say, well, my, nobody ever visits me. And I said, well, where are your kids? Are you, uh, uh, where do they live? They said, well, they live here. But they don't even bother to come and see them. So here we have the people or the person that gave them life, carried them in their womb for nine months, gave birth to them, and then when they get older, they don't want to be bothered with them, so they stick them in a hole and forget about them. That's hard for older people. Anyway, the ones that I talk to, I know that some of them need to be in there because of dementia and they can't remember uh, whether people visit them or not. My mother was like that. We had to put her in her home because <clears throat> she got really bad and and sometimes dementia makes you mean, and sometimes it makes you nice. Dementia made my mom mean <laughs> in a lot of cases. And so we'd go and see her, and she'd say, oh, hi, how are you? When did you get here? And you sit there and talk to her, and then about five, ten minutes later, she says, oh, hi, when did you get here? Because she couldn't remember. She, her short-term memory was, was gone. She could remember things that happened 50 years ago, but she couldn't have, remember something that happened five minutes ago. I've, I finally brought a, a calendar up, and I told everyone that came to see her, write your name on the calendar on the day that you came. And I told my mom, and I told the nurses, when she thinks like nobody's come and visit her, show her the calendar. Because it's hard to remember those kind of things. But people get lonely. Not only the ones in rest homes, but some people are lonely at home by themselves. Maybe they're not old. Because just, you know, when you're school, in school, it's easier to make friends. But when you're not in school, it's harder to make friends because you don't have that much of an opportunity. So, and here in this congregation, there should never be anyone here that feels like they don't have a friend. I know that sometimes we get busy in that, and, but we, you need to know that <clears throat> you need to call. You need to call because we forget too. So we need, to, we need to be careful about that as a church because we are Jesus to the world. And we don't want anyone to feel forgotten. And that's part of our responsibility. Now, I like the Native American culture because they do something that, that the rest of the cultures don't, or anyway, the American culture per se doesn't. And that is they honor and respect their elders. Amen. That's one thing that they do. They honor their wisdom and their knowledge. We don't do that as, as Americans. We don't do that. We don't care about our elderly. That's always been one of my, uh, what do you call it, pulpit beaten thing when I, all, all the way through my life before I got old, <laughs> was that we need to take care of our older people. We need to honor them. We need to respect them. We need to show them that they're loved and not, loved and not forgotten. And I'm thankful of the, the, of the cultures that do that. I think the, a lot of the Oriental cultures are like that, too. We need to adopt that from the other cultures. But we don't. We're so wrapped up in our own lives, we can't see out beyond our own family. And we need to take care of our family. But we also need to be aware that there are people that need to feel like they're, they're not forgotten. <clears throat> the third thing God tells us when we fail is he will never forsake us. Uh, in Hebrews 13.5, it tells us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We need to write this word down on our hearts and remember it so when we feel like we're forgotten and forsaken, we can read it and we know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. 
In 1 Samuel 12, 22, it says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. It pleased the Lord to make you his people. When he called you into the family, he was happy about it. Jesus told it that they're happy about the one that comes into the fold than the 99 that stay over here. Heaven rejoices every single time a person is saved. Now that's an exciting thing. And Randy read those uh, numbers about how we were doing it in the world. And what was it? Every, 40, every 30 seconds a person gets saved in, in, in the assemblies of God? Every 30 seconds. That isn't a, that should be something we rejoice about. We don't see those numbers here. Why? Because we're so busy evangelizing the world that we forget about evangelizing our neighborhood, our county, our cities, our country, our nation. Because we're over there evangelizing everybody else. And I agree with that. We're supposed to evangelize. Missions is at the heart of God. But where does the mission field start? At home. And then outside your front door or your back door. That's your mission field. And we need to realize that's what we need to be doing. Evangelizing the world. <clears throat> and he won't forsake his people ever. It's impossible because he says, for his great name's sake. For his name's sake. His name is important. He says, I hold my name above my word. Wow. That's pretty, pretty high, isn't it? So when he says that, that he won't ever forsake us, and he's happy that we're part of his family, we need to underline those things and realize that. <clears throat> because there's nothing worse than being forsaken. It's one thing to be forgotten, but after you're forgotten for so long, you feel forsaken. And that's a diff different depth of depression, to feel forsaken. And uh, there are a lot of people that... Uh, uh, they are forsaken by their families. Some people are forsaken when they become a believer. Because they don't want you to be. They want you to be this religion. So they do not want you to become a Christian and go to that church. You're supposed to belong to this one. And they forget, forsake you. They turn their back on you. Randy's family was really different. His mom and dad weren't, weren't strict LDS. But his sister and brother were. His brother went on a mission, and his sister mar married a returned missionary. And uh, when he became a, when Randy became a believer, they didn't forsake him. His mother was glad and happy because he was raised in that religion all his life, and it didn't matter. He still was out there in the world. He was drinking and running around and carousing and all kinds of stuff. But when he met Jesus, that changed. So they had to say, you know, what the religion couldn't do, Jesus did. So I'm happy for it. But a lot of people aren't like that. They don't care whether your whole life's turned around or whatever. So there are a lot of people that are forsaken for a lot of different reasons. <clears throat> uh, Romans 8, 28. It says, as we, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Now, uh, 
upright translation of this verse or one like that, it would read, uh, God is moving all of heaven to work on your behalf. Rejoice, God is coming to your rescue. We just have to keep on holding on till, till the deliverance comes. See, we give up too soon. We keep praying for something and we pray for something and it doesn't happen, so we give up and we walk away. We're praying for our loved ones and we don't see them getting saved and we walk away. If we'd have stayed, might have been enough of the, the whatever you call it to where they did get saved. Nathan, who had leprosy, was told to go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times if you want to be healed of your leprosy. Now, he wasn't happy about that. He was a wealthy man. And the Jordan River wasn't very clean. That was basically their sewer <laughs> to a lot of great extent. Of course, it isn't now. They've cleaned it out. But that's where people took their garbage and stuff, threw it in the river. And that's what they still do in a lot of countries. And that's why they have all the sickness and that is because they do those kind of things. But anyway, he says, why in the world would God make me go there when I have a lot of perfectly clean rivers in my home? But he told him to go to it there. And a little servant girl, when he was mad and walking off angry, because he didn't like the message that he heard. See, sometimes we don't like the message we hear from God, do we? So we walk off mad. So I ain't going to do that. I'm just gonna... <laughs> Am I the only one that does that? <laughs> so he walked away, you know, and the little servant girl says, well, you know, would it hurt? You know, maybe it'll work. And if it works, isn't it worth it? And he said, okay. So he went and did it, and he dumped himself once, nothing happened. Twice, nothing happened. Three times, nothing happened. Six times, nothing happened. And he was probably getting very disgusted at this point because he thought that'd be a gradual healing process from every time he dunked himself. Maybe I'd look a little differently. He probably dunked himself and looked at his hands and said, nothing's changed. I'm still a leper. So he dumped again. Nothing's changed. And he was probably getting angrier and angrier, hoping that something would change with one of these dunks. And now he's at the sixth time, and he's very disgusted with the whole thing. Thought, man, what difference does it make if I dunk myself seven times or six or five or four? What difference does it make? But when he ducked himself the seventh time, he was just like a brand new baby skin. See, we just have to keep on hanging on. And sometimes we need to be humbled before God to be obedient. And some of those things God may ask us to do, we may not like. There's a lot of things God asks me to do I don't want to do. Oh, God, I don't want to do that. Let me do this instead. But see, when we want to do this instead, we need to do that. Because if we want to do this, God needs us to do that. And when we do that, that's when things change. And sometimes we need to be humbled. Because in America, we are very proudful people and we are arrogant. We are very arrogant. And we look down on people more than we should, especially believers. We should never look down on anyone because we all stand even at the cross. And we need to understand that. So things will work out. 
because God promised they will, and he won't forsake us. Now, we have to realize in this life that sometimes we're the pigeon and sometimes we're the statue. <laughs> Think about it. You'll, you'll get it because we know what birds do. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like I'm the statue every day and there's always a flock right over my head. Well, we need to understand that, but pretty soon the grace of God will come through and he'll heal us and he'll clean us off and we'll be perfectly clean just like a brand new baby. But until then, we're a statue looking at the pigeons. <laughs> In 1 Samuel 12, Samuel reminded the children of Israel that every time they needed help and called on God, he would send a deliverer. And every time we need help and call on God, he will send a deliverer. We don't get to choose how we're going to be delivered, but it will happen. We just have to keep on keeping off. The fourth thing God tells us when we fail is he will never stop loving us. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, for, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't do anything to get, stop God from loving us. We can't stop from getting wet when we're running out in a rainstorm. Would anybody be able to run, run through the drops? It's impossible. Well, it's impossible for God to stop loving us. His son died for us. And he, when he looks at us, he sees Christ and his righteousness. So he can't stop loving us even if he wanted to. It's impossible. You want to talk about him, things that are impossible for God? That's one of them. People have a lot of these games that they say, God is so big, so big he can't... Uh, dig a hole deep enough that he can't fill in or something, just ridiculous stuff that they think up. I can't think of all of them now. And try to, you know, making fun of God. But there's all, very few things that's impossible for God, and that's one of them. It's impossible for God to stop loving us. And as parents, it's impossible for us to stop loving our kids. We may not like them, but we never stop loving them. And it isn't the like not liking them. We don't like the things that they do. And, it's, you know, kids, they do stuff, and they get into trouble because we have to realize we all have the same nature within us, and it's only God that corrals that nature. That's why it's good to become a believer at a young age, so God can mold them. But when we're older and we're already set in our ways, it takes God, takes us a lot more work to get through to that same place as a child gets. So be thankful for the little ones. It's, it, you know, it's a blessing to me to see the kids participating. I know a lot of people will come in here and say, what are you doing letting kids collect the offering? How dare you? Well, how dare you? We want to raise the children up in the ways of the Lord. And Jesus said a little child will lead them. Well, hey, they're trying to, these children are trying to lead people to start doing things in this church. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a blessing. So quit condemning him and thank God that we have people that are willing to do stuff. <clears throat> Every time you come in here, 
excuse me, you don't notice all the things that have happened to prepare for you to come. It's Potbluff Sunday, and someone was here that set up the tables and chairs and put salt and pepper shakers on, the, on there and prepared the food and all that other kind of stuff that we do that we don't see. We just come in and think, hmm, sure smells good in here. And that we need to understand that, so don't, don't condemn people. We can't do that either. And we've got to start loving our brothers and sisters in Christ because they are our true family. Your earthly family, if they're not a believer, we're not spending eternity with them. We're going to spend eternity with our fam- family, our church family. Our body of believers is our church family. And that's we're guaranteed to spend eternity with them. And I believe if we keep playing for our family, God will do, move heaven and earth to save them. I believe that with all my heart. So we need to keep praying for them. And they may get as ornery as all get out. And if they get ornery, thank Jesus because he's working with them. You know, that's usually when they get mean. They're getting ready to break down. (laughs) So God can break through. (laughs) So keep praying. Don't ever give up. Never give up on praying for someone. I believe God can answer prayer. If I didn't, I wouldn't pray. God loves us, and we can't do anything to get him to stop loving us. One day when we are changed and in our new body, failure won't be an an option because we won't have failure. And I long for that day. But until then, we have to keep on keeping on. No matter what we do, say or think, we can't stop God from loving us. Now, how does God respond when we fail? He says, I will not condemn you, I will not forget you, I will not forsake you, and I will never, ever, ever stop loving you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Praise him, Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your blessings, and I thank you, Lord, for your anointing on these words. <clears throat> and I know, Lord, that, that this message is, something in this message has touched every heart, because that's your promise. Because, Lord, I am just a messenger. I try to prepare what you have have given me, Lord, but it's up to the people to receive that message. And Lord, 